1: The bottom line is that, you know, we're evaluating that position along with all the other ones. And if we feel like we find the right right situation, we'll certainly draft them. We've drafted them in multiple years and multiple points in the draft. Didn't work out the last three days. That wasn't by design. It could have, but it didn't. Again, there are multiple ways to build your team. We'll see whether or not that comes up at a different point in time. You know, I don't know, but we just tried to do the best we could with what we had in this weekend. And that's what we did. And we'll see where it goes.
2: The Patriots did not draft a quarterback, did not get the guy of the future. They like somebody they got. They're still going to get somebody on the free agent market. Or the Patriots are going to get bad quarterback play and are going to win four, five, six games. It's not what we're used to with the Patriots, PK. A lot of people obsessing about what the heck they're doing post-Tom Brady.
3: Yeah, I thought Bill Belichick was accurate. If you didn't feel like there was one that you wanted, why draft one? Why why go through all the time to put an effort into a quarterback if you don't think he's your guy? I mean, you're right. They can go with a free agent. Cam Newton is out there. They're saying Winston likely to the Saints now. But Newton's still available. There was a time that I thought a few years back that Newton was the best quarterback in the game. Now, that's a fickle thing. It really comes and goes. Obviously, with him, that was almost as quick as it came, it went but when has the Patriots or when have the Patriots gotten bad quarterback play? I mean it's 20 years <laughs> you gotta go back so long. So until I actually see the Patriots win only five or six games, I'm going to believe otherwise because I don't remember a time when they didn't win and so Belichick knows what he's doing and if he doesn't feel like there's somebody that he wants, I'm okay.
2: You know they did have a year where Tom Brady got hurt in the first quarter of the first game, and they still found a way to win 11 games. So, doubt him. Right. We can all doubt him at our own peril. Uh, you mentioned Jameis Winston. The Saints are nearing a deal to sign him. It's expected to be a one-year contract. No report on the money yet, but they gave Taysom Hill a pile of money—two years and 20, almost 21 million dollars. That's a good chunk of change, and Hill, uh, Hill did some uh, interviews and, and said that uh, there'll be less special teams, and it'll look more like the Minnesota game where he did get to carry the ball. They might throw it to him. So I think he'll still be versatile on offense, but no more of the running 40 or 50 yards and putting that throwing shoulder into a massive collision. And there'll probably be some specific plays for him at quarterback, assuming
3: he can beat out Winston for the backup job. Uh, Yeah, I don't know that if he needs to beat Winston out for the backup job to get in there because he didn't beat out Bridgewater, and he got in there last year. I would take him off special teams, too, because he's too valuable. I've been saying this now for at least this last season. He needs to play more because this kid, as we all know and we saw firsthand, is a wildly talented athlete, and wildly talented athletes – uh, you know, unless you're 6'7, six, 6'8, six, and you can run like a gazelle and put the ball in the basket, those guys tend to be gravitated towards football, these wildly talented guys who can run and jump and all that stuff. Unless you're, as I say, very really tall. A 6'2 is tall by walking down the street's sake, uh, but it's not tall in the NFL or it's a basketball sense. So get this kid the ball because he could do so much and To compare it to basketball, when he's out on the field, you have to account for him whether he's touching the ball or not, and he's going to require some defensive attention. I don't know if the kid is a first – is a – first-team quarterback in this NFL, in the NFL. I have to see it before I believe it. That, maybe that's just me. Maybe you'd think otherwise. But I don't really believe anybody's a big-time quarterback until I see them actually do it. So it's no knock against Hill. But what I do know, he's a tremendous athlete who deserves and should have the football for, for a fair amount of time.
2: I told you I saw uh, interviews with the Hasselbeck brothers, Tim and Matt. Uh, they did a hit on ESPN. They both recommended that Winston, who they both thought had a lot of talent and pointed all the yards he threw for and the 30 touchdowns, but the 30 interceptions, just doesn't get it done. But one of them said he should go to Seattle. The other said he should go to Green Bay, learn behind Rodgers, learn behind Russell Wilson, and then kind of pull a Teddy Bridgewater deal and put yourself out on the market in another year and see what happens. And it's funny, he kind of took their advice, but he literally did what Teddy Bridgewater did and said, well, if we're going to learn from somebody. The Saints can make it happen and that's probably their pitch behind the scenes. Hey we'll sit you up look what happened with Bridgewater. Be that guy. And it might not even take a full year. Uh, you know the Saints Saints would be real deep at quarterback and if a team is you know in the middle of the year has an injury maybe this is a way for the Saints to pick up a draft pick. This could work out really well for them. Might set themselves up for a trade. All right, the other news is the draft. and PK, there were Utes, 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 and Utes. Seven Utes in the first six rounds. The only thing that surprised me was none in the final round.
3: Yeah, those are the seven guys that I was pretty assured were going to get drafted. Maybe Panasini and Francis Bernard. I was a toss-up between those two. Panasini did go. I thought Bernard was going to get drafted. I said this on television last night. My mindset was Cody Barton went in the third round last year, and I didn't see this year a massive difference between Barton and Bernard. And with that in mind, if Cody was a third-round pick and good on him, that I thought that Bernard would be drafted sixth or seventh round. Now, it didn't happen. I think he signed with the Cowboys. I still think he's an NFL player. And I thought maybe... Maybe possibly Gidry or, or and or Huntley would get drafted. Now neither of them did, but they get the free agent stuff. I thought Terrell Burgess was was really skyrocketing and that's exactly what happened. Did you see his call with the Rams where he basically breaks down yep. and starts sobbing yeah. when he realizes that he's gonna go to the NFL? Everybody loves that type of story. And again, Utah, man, their development of players is sensational. I don't I'm not there following the SEC every day and who's a four star, who's a two-star, so I can't really speak to the guys that they develop. I know they churn out pros left and right, but for Utah's program, when we study it inside-out, upside-inside, and all that stuff, we see guys who I just mentioned, Cody Barton, basically wasn't a starter until, a full-time starter anyway, till his senior year. Same thing with Terrell Burgess, and they both go in the third round. The, Kyle Whittingham's ability to develop players and turn them into NFL players, even if they're not NFL players, but to develop them, and then obviously obviously to turn them into NFL players, is simply, simply sensational. The guy is a master at this.
2: I actually saw on Twitter, I'll try to dig it up here, and we can talk about it later in the show, but I saw on Twitter uh, Saturday afternoon or Saturday evening when it was all done, the USC has had like 25 four-stars or something like that, and they've had single-digits players drafted over, you know, uh, what is it, a three- or four-year span, something like that. And over the same span, the Utes have had like four four four-stars, and yet they've had 20 whatever guys drafted. I mean, the numbers were almost completely reversed, and I saw it, and there were a lot of SC fans complaining about it. They were just lining up to complain about it. You know what the numbers were, don't you? Astounding. Thank you. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. South Carolina Athletic Director Ray Tanner said the regional differences and restrictions during the coronavirus outbreak could make it challenging for conferences to align on when to play the 2020 college football season. His quote, the entire country is not going to be in the same place at the same time. That was my point. In a perfect world, we're aligned, we play, and you have a championship. You go to the college football playoff, the bowl game, conference championships, and life is normal. Right now, we're in a wait-and-see mode to see what happens in the next few weeks. So that was my point. There's certainly a possibility the conferences might not be aligned here. If you're clear in certain parts of the country and others aren't, do you think they're not going to play? So I hadn't really considered that, PK, that we'd see one or two conferences in the uh, on time and another one or two late and then another one or two in the spring, and that would wreak havoc with the non-conference schedule.
3: Well, first of all, it's havoc. It's not havoc. And yeah... Great. Finally, great news for us who live out in the middle of nowhere. The Pac 12 can get teams. They'll get multiple teams into the Final Four because the SEC and the Big Ten won't be able to play. Here's our chance. Kind of backdooring it, huh?
2: <laughs> SEC's <laughs> going in the spring. <laughs> Let or, me throw this at. Or you, it my goes. Good or, or it goes the other way. The SEC and the Big Ten go in the fall, and everybody else goes in the spring. SEC, SEC takes three. The Big Ten gets one, and we have a playoff.
3: No, 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 no. You have to wait it out there, and by that time, those SEC guys, they would go into the draft so they would be ineligible you would just have the playoff if they ended the season in December you'd have the you'd still have the playoff after the spring season so the SEC guys would go you talk about backdooring it I ask you this did Olajuwon backdoor it and does anybody care same principle Jordan was gone Olajuwon got his titles Drexler got a title same deal. Nobody says that they backdoored it, right? This is a great opportunity. If the Pac-12 can't cash in on this, then it is truly time to, to get rid of Larry Scott. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA.
2: NBA is reopening team practice facilities beginning on Friday for players in states and municipalities that are loosening stay-at-home restrictions amid the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, Teams will remain prohibited from holding group workouts or organized team activities. The NBA's decision to reopen facilities based on the loosening of local governmental policies is not reflective of a new timetable for resumption of play this season. There were stories about players inquiring about going to Atlanta to work out and I don't think the NBA was excited about guys flying over the flying all over the country to congregate in the metropolitan area, whether it was L.A. or Houston or Atlanta or wherever. California's currently shut down. So teams are going to have the chance to open their facilities. No word yet on what the Jazz are going to do. This all went public because Woj started tweeting about it. So I think he might have been a little front of the league in communication with the teams and all the teams getting their plans out there. But I expect we'll hear something from the Jazz later this week.
3: Well, man, well, if they can open it up, why not? I was trying to picture it in my mind the jazz practice facility. There's something like eight or ten baskets in there, right? There's it a lot. At least yeah. two full courts and probably more than two full courts when you go the, uh, not necessarily the long way, but the shorter distance across uh, from the basketball court, not the baseline, not the, the sideline, not the baseline but they've got so much room in there. I mean, certainly you can let two or three guys go in and shoot if they want. You would think if they – I mean, social distancing can be accomplished while having the thing open there. I don't know if it's the right thing to do or if they should do it, but it seems to me that they could get, do it. If guys are in town – got to be in town, obviously, and maybe that would get some guys back into town if they did that and they can have some form of some type of workouts rather than doing it on your basket in your driveway – I think we'll be okay.
2: I would think so, too. There's a lot of space in there. So as far as being on your own hoop and, you know, being 20, 40, or 90 feet from the from somebody else. Plus, it could go in in shifts, right? Uh, somebody, you know, yeah, exactly. for a couple yeah, a hours and a couple hours later somebody else is in. Uh, Kobe Bryant's final season was chronicled by a film crew similar to the 1997-98 season for Jordan and the Bulls that we're now seeing in The Last Dance. Sources close to the matter told ESPN that the footage has been in the editing stages for a potential documentary to be released years from now. It's unclear when it might be released, and uh, there are reports that Bryant had seen edited material provided feedback in the months leading up to his death. It's unlikely those plans have changed, the sources said. So, The Last Dance documentary is... Receiving just rave reviews and social media is in love with it. So expect down the road somewhere, I don't know when, but down the road somewhere, there'll be a Kobe Bryant documentary too.
3: Well, I think this, uh, I think everything now in our world is political. And so what's the slant going to be? I mean, it's clear the slant here is you're going to dump on certain guys. You're going to dump on Jerry Krause. You're going to dump on Isaiah Thomas. And uh, Isaiah is at least alive to defend himself. Kraus isn't. So my guessing with Bryant being gone, that it's going to be as favorable as possible because we, we, ter- we take certain political angles. Like last night, it was uh, why, uh, Craig Elo was on me. And, well, Craig Elo made you double pump and you made the shot. Harper should have been on you. But in, later on in that uh, broadcast, he scores over Rodman when the Bulls took a 2-0 lead and Rodman was viewed as the great defensive player. But it wasn't, why was Rodman on me? I easily could get around him, but out Craig Elo, he was a bum. They should have had Ron Harper on me. So they're making political statements here depending on who is in charge. So I don't have any problem watching it, but everything to me now is so political. What angle, what point are you trying to prove with whatever you do? If you wanted to do Bryant, I'd probably watch it, although there's nothing new. I mean, I didn't think that there was a whole lot of stuff that was new. Are we surprised that Jordan still hates Isaiah Thomas? I mean, that was the juiciest, most salacious stuff, right? When he's up there swearing about Isaiah Thomas. But we already knew he still hated him. So was there anything new in that thing last night? Or maybe it refreshed your memory, but was it new?
2: Uh, refresh my memory, and I think it's more the behind-the-scenes stuff—the you know them celebrating on the on the plane, that kind of stuff. I mean, you're not surprised they did it. It's Broncos! Not like, what? They were really happy on the plane. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, Craig Sager giving Dennis Rodman 20 bucks to pay a fine. I got a laugh out of a lot of people. So it's a little details like that. The main arc of the story, we all know, It was all well reported at the time, and. The people they're going back to are the people who are doing the reporting. So, you know, the stuff that wasn't reported, Mark Spears was tweeting out last night that there was way more to the Vegas story. Now, we didn't know the Vegas story, so that was kind of juicy. And, uh, you know, whatever else is still out there, whatever salacious details are, apparently, you know, look at Spears' Twitter feed. Apparently he knows them, but he's not telling
3: so basically, what it is is like uh, this week uh, inside the NFL yeah. when they have microphones out on the field. Yep. And so that's 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 essentially what this is. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know that – I mean, obviously I knew there was conflict with Krause at the end. That was incredibly obvious. And this showed, you know, the good times, dancing on the plane and laughing, which would have been the year before Pippen signed the contract that he hated, so there weren't the bad feelings yet. But I didn't know, going back to the first two weeks, that, um, you know, Stan Albeck locked Jerry Krause out of the locker room. So there are these little details. I don't know how important they are, but – they fill that in, and then you just get to see some of the, uh, you know, some of the behind-the-scenes joys. Like you said, it's that it's that NFL film stuff. You know, a week later, except this is you know 20 years later, so we're going down memory lane. I did find it interesting. You know, I'd forgotten that Harper was on the Cavs. Once I saw it, I remembered. So there's a guy who was a former competitor, and they took him to build their team. And then you got Rodman, a former competitor, and they took him to build the team. So it's not exactly what the players are doing with the super teams. And maybe the, you know, there's no telling how much say the players had it wasn't free agency but how much do the players push behind the scenes hey go get this guy go get that guy they don't go into you know acquiring Ron Harper but you know the notion of super teams and Harper wasn't a star but he was a good player Rodman was a borderline
3: star but the bulls made him a bigger star yeah well they don't want to go into that because they want to pay paint Jerry Krause to be this bad dude. That's what I'm saying. That's They're clearly taking an angle on this. Krause is receiving no credit for building the team. He's just being ripped for tearing it down. DJ and PK.
0: Hashtag college basketball.
2: Utah State Center, Nimi Keda is uh, coming back to Utah State. It was the deadline for declaring for the NBA draft. He had to decide if he want to stay in the draft or return to school, and he's going to play his junior season at Utah State. They're obviously the Mountain West Conference Tournament Champs. See if they can defend that. They're losing a lot of guys, PK, but they get the big guy back.
3: Yeah, and good for them. And i don't understand why college basketball does this it basically creates rules that acquiesce to the nba why do they do this you're not necessarily doing it in other sports let these guys be in the draft like it is with baseball and i think it is with hockey too let these guys be in the draft and then it's up to them do i want to sign or do i not want to sign and baseball gets along just fine with it why does the why does college basketball as a sport create its rules to benefit the nba they should create its rules to benefit their sport college basketball so you don't have to put your name out there it's just do the teams want to draft you and then can they sign you And if they can't, then you go to college or you stay in college, just like they do with baseball. This makes no sense that college basketball requires these kids to do this because all it's doing is hurting its own sport and benefiting another league in which they don't benefit from financially. It doesn't make any sense to me. It's madness, Dave, and it has to stop.
2: They're slowly walking it back from 50 years of this. How to hold on to the guys who really make them money. There's two theories here. Money and race. I've read plenty of stuff. College baseball is a white sport. College basketball is basically a black sport. And it's about keeping control of the African-American athletes. And then the other argument is baseball doesn't make any money. So, eh, the rules do whatever you want. But in basketball... The players who can go to the NBA are the players who can win, and they can keep coaches employed, and maybe they can you know, fill the stands and drive TV ratings. I don't think that's true so much anymore. I think there was a time when it was true. But most of the guys who can do that, are they're gone. They're in the top half of the first round. There's, they're no doubters.
3: So who's the racist here, then? I don't understand. The NCAA, PK. For their rules. Whoop. Yeah, but these are
2: dumb rules. They're hurting themselves. Yeah? You want to hurt somebody else so bad, you hurt yourself. I agree. They should just... If they, if they get drafted and sign a contract, then they're gone. Well, if they sign a contract, then they're gone, whether they're drafted or they leave as a yeah, free yeah. agent. If you sign a contract right, for money right, to right. go play pro ball, well, then you're gone. And if you don't, then you play. We and there's that. no reason that whatever the number is, and I don't know what it is, they usually report it after the draft each year. It's a little different. But whether it's 15 or 30 or 60 players who declare who don't get drafted, you know, so what? Uh and and guys can go overseas and make a ton of money. We've seen that with local guys. Local guys have carved out really good careers, whether they played in college here or played for the Jazz. You know, there's all kinds of opportunities overseas that don't have anything to do with the NBA. Cool. It was Trent that left early, right? Well, there was a slew of them left early, but yeah. What is trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing receive a free reverse osmosis system with the purchase of any water softener at Shamrock Plumbing 801-295-1690 that's Shamrock Plumbing All right coming up Andy Benoit covers the NBA, uh, covers the NFL draft for Sports Illustrated and bet online He's going to join us next, go over the draft, the Utes, some of the guys who weren't drafted who might make it, where some of these teams are going, and what the opportunities are for the players who have been picked. And we will get to that coming up next. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Howard Beck from Bleacher Report, what are you hearing in the people that you talk to around the NBA about an optimism level? I mean, as recently as a few days ago, I had some executive with the team say he thinks we'll be up and running by July 1st. And I texted
1: back, I'm highly highly
2: skeptical. And he said, "Yeah, I get it. Well, July 1st is still a ways off." It's within obviously the realm of possibility that everything breaks right, the NBA comes back and the optimists prove to be correct, but I think sometimes if you press them a little like, "Okay, but how? How are we getting there? When are our public
1: health Officials and elected officials are going to be ready to say it's okay, and under what parameters it's so much more complicated than just optimism.
0: The big show. Weekdays from two to seven on 975-1280 the Zone and the Zone Sports Network.
2: DJ and PK, it is time to talk NFL draft with Andy Benoy, Covers the NFL draft for Sports Illustrated and Bet Online. And he is joining us on the Sprint special guest line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. Please visit sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Andy, good morning. Hey guys, how are you? Good. So, I'm curious here, uh, you know, covering it for Bet Online. They put a they put a number on everything. Everybody's got opinions, but they put a number on it. So, Biggest surprise, biggest lock. Who really won in the draft?
1: Well, you know, one that stands out to me is, is the Dallas Cowboys and the value that they got at each pick. And, and C.D. Lamb, for example, you, you mentioned Bet online. I think they, his number is 850, over, under for receiving yards. I could see him, even if he's under that, which is possible given how many playmakers that they're going to have to be feeding the ball to, I could still see him being one of the most valuable rookies in this draft because his presence now allows Amari Cooper to go into the slot if they want. Because Lamb can play outside or inside. That's the way Cooper is. And I think Cooper's at his best when he's aligned inside. So anytime a team can get a dynamic player later in the draft than they thought, which is already what happened with Lamb, I think Dallas would have expected him to be off. The board by the time they picked anytime you can get that and, and not only have that player now available to you but have him make your best player even more valuable to me that's a home run type of draft pick
2: so you've got zach moss in is uh, 20 to 1 To be the offensive rookie of the year in the NFL. Should uh, Moss and all the people uh, cheering for him be pumped that he went to Buffalo? Is it a perfect matchup of uh, a bad weather uh, locale and a rugged running back who ought to be able to uh, be good in December? If it's snowing,
1: yeah, that's a good way to put it. I think a lot of the comparisons, or some of them that you hear about Moss, is he has some similarities to Frank Gore as a runner, and and Frank Gore obviously was in Buffalo last year, and he he won't be this year, which is why Moss is here. And what Gore's always done so well is the the patience between the tackles and the ability to get through small cracks and without losing his balance. And I think that's something that Moss can bring to the table theoretically. You know, we don't know for sure on any of these guys. They're all just kind of concepts as players right now. But what you project him as, he will fit Buffalo's run game in that sense. And the Bills do a lot of man-to-man blocking outside. So if he has the ability to to press his blocks and read defenders on the move, on the perimeter. He's going to be very productive for him. Now, his numbers might not be huge, though, because he's going to have to share his touches with Singletary. They're running back from a year ago. But the, together, those guys, that's a really good, stylistically, that's a really good one-two punch.
3: You speak of the Cowboys getting value. You know they took Bradley and I later in the draft, and he's the all-time sack leader for the University of Utah. And that's a position where if you're making that many sacks for for Utah, you're probably a good player. How much value do you think the Cowboys got in an eye?
1: Well. uh yeah, for the fifth round, as a fifth-round pick, it could be very good value because any sacks are difference-making type of plays, and you can accumulate them in a situational role. Theoretically, and we'll have to see what he is in the NFL, but theoretically, guy could play 15 snaps a game in only passing situations, but those are critical snaps. Those are third-down-and-ten type of snaps, or third-medium. So there's a chance at value there. What will be interesting to see, Dallas has been running this 4-3 straightforward scheme for several years, they're going to go to something else under Mike Nolan. What Mike Nolan last season, their new defensive coordinator, what he did last time we saw him coordinating a defense, which is several years ago now, he's more into blitzing. And when you blitz, it, it has a different demand on some of your athletes, and you're not necessarily looking for just pure edge benders, but overall athletes as well. So it'll be interesting to see how Anai is used in that scheme.
2: So you talk about the Cowboys getting value. I've read some really complimentary reviews of the Colts draft. They used Julian Blackman part of that. But a lot of people think the Colts hit on multiple picks.
1: And I, I would be one of those people. With offense, they got the big X receiver that they wanted, Michael Pittman. They have a, a, the second pick in, in, the, in their second round, 41st overall. I think Jonathan Taylor is a guy a lot of people felt was the best pure runner in this draft. He's not the most dimensional receiving back. But the Colts don't need that. They have other backs that fill that role already. So a big X receiver, a sustaining dynamic first and second down runner. And then I like the Blackman pick for the reason that Indianapolis puts three safeties on the field quite often with regularity. And in the past years, they've done it more and more as the season has progressed. So Blackman has a chance to really develop over the course of his rookie year. And it'll be interesting to see where they see him and where they line him up, because the Colts will play some too deep safety stuff at times. It's not just one deep safety all the time. So there's some options there of how you use guys. But safety's a position for them. You really can't go wrong because they use so many of them.
3: wondering what you think of the Dolphins. They draft three offensive linemen, and obviously Tua, and I don't know if Tua's going to sit a year, but let these offensive linemen, including Austin Jackson, the kid from USC, maybe develop, and are you thinking they're building something that is going to go in the right direction?
1: Yes, I do think they're going in the right direction. I was really impressed with them last year. I watched all their snaps on film, and – I never once thought they were tanking, like they were accused of. And in the second half of the season, it really reflected. They, they won a lot more games than a lot of teams would, given the level of talent that they had there. So that coaching staff did a great job of getting the most out of its guys. And now here they are bringing in the guys that they want, and they're overhauling a lot of the roster. And this is really phase one. Phase one's tearing it down, which was last year. Phase two would be building it from the ground up. and they got a couple phases to go but they made a lot of progress. Offensive tackle, they needed two of them coming into this draft. You mentioned Jackson. He'll probably be their left tackle. Robert Hunt, who they got early in the second round, has a chance to be their right tackle. Uh, two will be the interesting one. I would imagine he gets on the field. Really, only two or three guys in the last 15 years have truly sat out and learned from the bench as rookies. And Pat Mahomes is one of them. Aaron Rodgers is one of them. Those guys were supremely talented, and they joined very stable organizations with teams that were coming off of a playoff win, or or at least a playoff appearance. So the point is, NFL QBs don't sit and develop from the bench anymore. And Ryan Fitzpatrick, who will probably be the Week 1 starter, every year he's going to throw half a dozen interceptions that just boggle your mind. And I bet he'd even admit that and tell you that. Those kind of interceptions are exactly the kind of plays that get veteran QBs benched when there's a rookie behind them.
2: 38 wins for the NFC West. I mean, the Cardinals have some work to do with a young quarterback. Everybody else had a winning record. Uh, Burgess goes to the Rams. With the quarterbacks in that division, how much pressure is there on all the defenses? And how much pressure is there on guys like Burgess to be good right away? Because everybody needs help. Everybody needs depth. You know you're facing six games against quality quarterbacks just inside your division.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of pressure on Burgess because the Rams' new scheme, their new coordinator, Brandon Spaley, his system – it puts a really big emphasis and a really big burden on linebackers. It's a it's a complex scheme. Lineback is an important position there. And the Rams, quite frankly, don't have any quality linebackers on the roster. So they're already not going to be able to do everything they that Staley's gonna to want to do in his first year here. Now the Rams have other strengths, but what Burgess gives them is the ability to play one of their safeties at linebackers. So at least they that offsets they have a weakness at linebacker. Okay, well, we'll just go to more safeties, put three safeties out there, which is what the Rams have done the last few years and uh, Taylor wrapped their pick last year who I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with the guy from Washington he was a phenomenal passing down linebacker late in the season for them John Johnson their other safety is better down in the box so for those guys to play there you need a free safety a center fielder who you really trust and I would imagine that's what you know we don't know for sure we don't know what any of these guys will be till they get to the NFL and actually play games and get some reps but I would imagine the Rams anticipate Burgess being their center fielder for them and given that they don't have a lot of depth on defense I bet Burgess is in the lineup in week 1
2: We're joined by Andy Benoit he covers the NFL draft for Sports Illustrated and bet online uh, bet online is throwing out all these over under numbers on Joe Joe Burrow how many yards is he going to throw for how many touchdowns is he going to throw for it's the Bengals. Is he going to have enough around him? Are they going to be good enough? Or is this the curse of being number one? you got to go to a bad team.
1: Well, that, that is the curse, yes. Certainly you're going to go to a team that was, was bad the year before I think the Bengals have a chance to, to really take a huge step forward with their offense because what they didn't have last year was a healthy A.J. Green, and maybe they won't have that this year. A.J. Green's old older, and he's been out of the lineup for three-fourths of the game the last couple of years. But let's say he's in there, or let's say T. Higgins, who they drafted to probably replace Green, he'll be in there. Either way, they have a more dimensional and a more talented receiving core than a year ago. And then their offensive line, when they put in left tackle Cordy Glenn late in the year, and Glenn had not been available for a variety of reasons, but when he got in there the last three or four games, I believe it was, that offensive line, which had absolutely killed him all season long, there was a domino effect, and there was a real stabilizing force there. Glenn's off the roster now, but Jonah Williams, their first-round pick of a year ago, He missed all of last season with an injury. He's healthy now, 100% healthy. So I bet they feel that if we have a left tackle in there and we think it's Jonah Williams will be that guy, everybody along the O-line will get better. And those guys got better over the course of last season already. So it's not a great receiving core. It's not a great offensive line yet. But they're much better units than they were last season. So Burrow is not as in a tough a predicament as Andy Dalton was a year ago with this offense.
3: So with Tua, you talk about how today's quarterbacks get on the field early. What do you think is going to happen with Jordan Love?
1: I think Jordan Love is going to sit for a little while. I I, I can't. That would surprised surprise me, if I'm being honest. And I'm sure the Packers have a plan, and it, it looks like they're taking the long view on this thing. They drafted some other guys who will probably not play a whole lot in this upcoming season. Uh, I, I mean, I, I didn't see it coming, so it never occurred to me that Green Bay would have a guy behind Rodgers that would even be talking about when he, when is he going to play. I don't think it'll be a possibility at all in 2020, as long as Rodgers is healthy. I wouldn't count on it for 2021, but it'll be interesting to see that. To me, that's instantly the most fascinating story now entering this upcoming season.
2: Well, the Tom Brady Tampa Bay story is pretty fascinating. How many games are they going to win? Are they the favorites? Or are the Saints? What do you think?
1: The Saints, I think, are the most talented team and the most complete roster top to bottom in the NFC this year. And let's remember the Falcons last year went six and two in the second half of the season. And they, they outplayed the saints uh, for much of the time when they faced them. So the bucks, yeah, they're a lot better and I'm sure they believe they're Super Bowl contenders. And then they should, their defense is, is young, but improving Brady is still at a high level. They've added guys around them. That's a really good, that division this year has a chance to be similar, probably to what the a- NFC West was last year.
2: Andy Benoit covers the NFL draft for Sports Illustrated and Bet Online. Andy, thanks for coming on this morning. We appreciate it.
1: All right. Thanks, guys.
2: The NFC South, loaded like the NFC West. The schedule's coming out in uh, about a week, about a week and a half. I expect it'll be a big old dose of the Buccaneers and the Saints, the Bucks and the Chiefs playing the uh, the AFC West so you're going to get that game and you're going to get uh, all those division games that ought to be pretty good. A couple of stacked divisions right there. Not teams we usually see, but the spotlight's on them now PK. Yeah,
3: well uh, the, the better the divisions are the, more, the better it is for me as a viewer to get more you know, quality games that I get to watch on Sundays and Thursdays and Mondays and all that stuff. My big question taken away from the NFL draft is why did it seem like every player who had a fourth cousin die, maybe somewhat tragically, did they have to highlight? That was was getting out of hand. That
2: was a lot of death. A lot of just tragic stories. And his dad (laughs) slipped on the gravel and was hit and killed by a car. Like, ooh. And it it just seemed like every third pick they had one. It, It was just nonstop.
3: Yeah, I thought it was the uh, college football show where they have Gene uh, Wojciechowski in a real just mellow voice narrating someone where, yeah, game day. I couldn't think of the word there. But, yeah, college game day where they would talk about and they do it with you know some sad music and they try to tug at your heartstrings. And then, of course, they had the thing that always just, bugs me it's always the black kid who had to step over five dead bodies on the way to school and they just perpetuate that they never say wow this kid he came from a middle-class upbringing with two parents and everything was pretty good and he took advantage of that (laughs) it's just they just reinforce this stuff over and over and over again and we just keep it in our mindset that that's the way they grow up and it's some of them do yeah but it's not everybody but yet they do that stuff and it, it's it's a cliche now, and I found it odd that that's what they were concentrating on. I guess they had to do something because they couldn't, they, it wasn't as visual, you know. It wasn't where uh, you see them walking up to the stage and that type of thing. And that, I, f- I found that how they, I don't want to say kill time, but how they used the time right after the picks to be very interesting. I thought that the uh,
2: other thing they did was they really spotlighted the coach's kids and pets,
3: and people ate it up. Hey, people ate it up, you say? Yep. That's why I saw this guy on television last night, <laughs> and he brought on his little boxer puppy. That was freaking genius. Who has the more adorable dog, Bill
2: Belichick or Yacht, Patrick Kinahan? Yock, <laughs> you didn't see it last night. So you, doesn't you do know that. it because he was sleeping, so yeah. he doesn't know about the dog. I have it on my DVR. I'm going to go home and watch it. PK was holding the dog. Of and course Jackie it came and delivered. Was yes. it Jackie who came and delivered or Candy? <laughs> Somebody came and stepped in, but they didn't actually get no on wife. camera. It was Jackie, yeah. <laughs> you got right to the edge and then... Release the hounds, and the dog comes flopping into PK's arms, and then PK's got this big old schmaltzy smile on, and the dog is, you know, wiggling through the hole. <laughs> you know how to play to the crowd. We know PK. Oh, now. he did. He did. It was well done. All right, coming up, we got uh, Steve Lubin, our basketball insider, at nine o'clock. He always drops a bunch of stories on us. He drops some great Michael Jordan stories me last got week. He's th- more today. He does. Yes. Nice. All right, that's it nine o'clock. Stay with us. What'd you watch? Coming up next.
0: Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olson and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. I am and tired of seeing social media make this run that Aaron Rodgers isn't going to handle this like a professional and he's going to mistreat Jordan Love and this is a mess that they've caused and this is a wasted pick. No, no, no. They felt like Jordan Love was the quarterback of the future. They felt like it was worth the first-round gamble and I agree with them and I think it's going to be handled well. Everybody wants to think a locker room is all warm and fuzzy but it's not for him to go out there and say, okay, let's get you up to speed and let's do this and this and this and so are you going to go out of your way to help develop this guy? to take your job? Probably not. I wouldn't. It's up to Jordan Love to get himself ready to play. It's up to the coaches to develop Jordan Love. It's not Aaron Rodgers' job. Hanson Scotting Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network.
2: Well, PK, that was, that was a lot more sports TV viewing than we're used to. We started doing this segment because we were watching all kinds of crazy stuff because we weren't watching games. But NFL Draft, NFL Draft... Jordan documentary? We all know what we were watching. We were all locked in. Rare sports options, including the uh, NFL commissioner nearly falling asleep late in the third round on live TV. He was slipping. He was struggling. As you point out on TV, it was late in the East,
3: and apparently he didn't get a nap Friday afternoon. Well, certainly I watched more draft than I've ever watched, because this time of year, we are just locked down on NBA playoffs, and I'm monitoring the draft with the big names and then, of course, the local guys, but I got to say, I watched all of it on Thursday. I watched all of it on Friday. I did not watch all of it on Saturday. By the time the afternoon rolled around, I did go play some golf, but... I was monitoring it on my phone, and I got into it more than I ever did get into it. And then, of course, last night, it was all about the Jordan thing there. And this is right in my air, watching this stuff. There's really nothing that I'm learning, maybe a couple of tidbits. But because it was in my time, the prime of my life, basically... Uh, I, I'm interested in it. And you're right at what you said earlier. It's behind the scenes. It's the juicy little tidbits that we don't necessarily see where there's a camera. We don't see a camera normally on a plane where Michael Jordan is joking with, uh, who was it, Burrell's, telling Burrell's parents that uh, he's an alcoholic. And he's there, would you, get, would you knock this off? My parents are going to watch this. And he doesn't want them to see that. You know, and just the little stuff in there. And then... You know, I knew they were going to make Isaiah the bad guy, and Isaiah, for whatever reason, he's viewed as a bad person. I don't, I don't really get what was the genesis of the feud between. Jordan and Isaiah I think that's something I would like to be explored rather than freaking Rodman growing up and all that stuff and, the, and you know and when he got to be an established guy then he became a freak oh good on him you know you didn't do it when you were trying to make the team you waited until you became a star and then you became a freak to get some publicity and that, that stuff I didn't really need to see I would have liked to know what is it I still don't really know why those two guys don't like each other What was the reason? It had to have been something beyond just the bad boys because there was four other guys there, and you had Mahorn and Lambeer and even Rodman. They were the ones taking the cheap shots and the dirty play. It wasn't Isaiah, right?
2: Right, Isaiah played the prettiest basketball
3: on the team. He
2: and, and Dumars, and Lambeer could shoot it from the perimeter. He was skilled, but Lambeer did foul a yeah, lot sure. of people really hard that were in basketball plays, and Mahorn lived for it. Sally is so charming now on TV <laughs> that he kind of gets away with He was right in the middle of it, too. I mean, they really did have... They didn't have greatness along the front line, but they had a collection of a lot of size, and they were 100%. They bought in completely into you know just physical play and just beating up people. and And I thought they did a good job of picking clips that really showed that. You know, guys just jumping on each other, shoving each other, just beating the snot out of people. A uh, little behind-the-scenes snippets that, uh, that got you going, that uh, cracked you up. And I am, I am with you. And, you know, I, I think that the storytelling has been really well done here in that each episode seems to go through about a month of the 97-98 season, and it kind of progressed up to the point with the regular season game with the Jazz in, in, uh, in January. And they're also going through the years of Jordan's career about how Jordan and the club were developing and getting to this moment. And so as they've gone through the 80s and now the early 90s, they're getting up to the Dream Team. Next week's episode 5 and 6. Now the national people get to see previews. We only see the previews you see. You know, Sports Center plays a clip or there's a, a promo on at some point. So I'm assuming they're going to tell the Dream Team story and that they're saving the Isaiah Thomas backstory for that. I can't believe they're not going to address it. I've always thought it had to do with Jordan getting frozen out in the All Star game. They wouldn't give him the ball. He was, you know, I, I think it comes down to jealousy. Jealousy and, and feeling uh, disrespected, which is a cliche, but I think that's what it comes down to. But you're right. It would be great to hear them say it. You know, we, we thought the Bulls hated the Pistons, but I don't know that we could fully guarantee the the depth of the hatred but man when you see guys 20 years later dropping some of the profanity they're dropping straight into a camera and they're mic'd up and they know it's going to make air that removes all doubt before is kind of what we suspected and what we thought and we were right
3: as it turns out well who did jordan hate oh he hated isaiah Okay, so he didn't hate the Pistons, he just hated Isaiah. it's, it's
2: like you said on TV, I mean, he probably didn't like getting walloped by Rodman, but when he had a chance to play with Dennis Rodman, he signed off on it. And I thought maybe that was one of the small things that was really fleshed out. He really wanted to set the record straight that Rodman could get locked in and stay locked in and help the team for a long period of time. And I thought Jordan really sold that point You know, He didn't have to be convinced He didn't really have to tolerate Dennis Now him going to Vegas to chase Dennis down And rousting him, getting back to the team That was, that was one of the salacious little details Everybody enjoyed
3: Oh, yeah, that Rodman, he sure is an original. Uh, good for him. Well, he's hes a freak. Wow. Who cares about that stuff, man? It's about winning basketball because if they would have lost, no, we wouldn't be talking about Dennis Rodman being in Vegas. It only worked because they won the title. And if they would have lost the title, then it wouldn't have been any big deal. We wouldn't be talking about it. So it's about winning basketball. This other stuff is a bunch of soap opera stuff. But I find it fascinating that Jordan hates the Pistons – But yet he had no problem with Rodman being on the team because he can help him win. And I'm wondering if Isaiah could have helped him win, would that feud not have been as great as it was? And, you know, fine. He doesn't like him. He doesn't like him all these years later. But... You know, he had no problem welcoming Rodman onto the team because Rodman can help him win. And Rodman was a genius about what he did as far as rebounding and the studying that he did and how seriously he took it. The best thing that, and I've seen this stuff a million times with Rodman, the best thing that Rodman said that I took from that thing last night was he about his second year, he figured out, okay, where am I going to make my mark? And it's going to be on defense and rebounding, and he made his mark. That other stuff, all, all that other the hair and the tattoos and all this. I don't care about that. That, that. I've never gotten into what these dudes do off the field or the court. It's all about what they do on it. We're only talking about it because he played on three winning teams and he was a vital component. The other stuff is just a bunch of nonsense, man. And I'm of the Jerry Sloan school I don't... That's not what we're about. We're about winning basketball games. And Rodman figuring out what he could do to stick in the league was just sensational to me. That was just brilliant. But this feud stuff here between these two guys, uh, great. They hate each other. Not exactly brand new news to me, but... Uh, I appreciate that they had competitive basketball going about itself. And that's the stuff that drew me. What drew you in at the time it was being played? The fact that it was not necessarily great stylistic basketball, but it was great competitive basketball. At least that's what drew drew me in.
2: Uh, Yes, uh, Jordan's greatness. I mean, he really was must-see TV. Uh, Steve Tate. Uh, played for the Utes, and I follow him on social media, and he tweeted out, a lot of times when you go back and you see old video, you see players playing the style of basketball that was played then. He said, but Jordan, just watching him, he just looks like a guy who could play in 2020. He plays the way guys play now, really you know, ahead of his time. And uh, Tim Lacombe, Retweeted it and agreed completely that Jordan was just—it was like he was a player from the future. You know, I mean, we he transcended we, basketball. Yeah, we talk about it, but like someone like Yach's age, you know, Yach just didn't sit through the 1984, 85, and 86 NBA no, seasons. But I saw the He's 90s. Enough, but the greatness of magic and bird was so awesome and so overwhelming. And like Jordan was a legit heir to the throne and everything they went into in that episode, you know, and he said, when he talked about how much it hurt him, the people said, Hey, you can score, but you can't win. You know, and that hurt until he got the trophy. And I thought that was interesting. Now I forget which teammate it was. uh, But one of his teammates saying, we'd seen him get mad at people. And we'd seen him dominate and be spectacular. We'd seen frustration and anger. But when he held that trophy and sobbed, we had never seen that side of him. And, and, you know, they spent so much time together, and you've never seen that side of him? I don't know. I found that. I thought that was one of the, you know, just little interesting tidbits they threw out there. Um all right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 the zone. Coming up in the 8 o'clock hour, I got two things to hit here. PK put a couple things up on our Facebook page. They both got a lot of reaction. Uh, both football oriented. Taysom Hill got 16 million guaranteed from the Orleans Saints. And he might be getting 21 million, but you know the NFL, there's always a little wiggle room depending on how you play. Uh, what do the haters have to say now? And seven Utes drafted this week, bringing the total to a Pac 12 leading 21 over the last four years. How does Kyle Winningham keep doing it? Two questions we will address in the 8 o'clock hour. Stay with us, 97.5, 1280 The Zone.